1956, a collection of scientists and mathematicians gathered at Dartmouth College, New Hampshire for their summer recess. In doing so, they not only coined the term artificial intelligence, but also established some of the key research areas critical to create thinking machines. The original list of attendees was lost, but it's fair to say that the contributors would have all shared three characteristics that would define artificial intelligence for the next six decades. They were brilliant in their respective fields, they were white, and they were male. I'm Jonathan Seal, and this is Living in AI World, where we talk to experts and influencers from different domains about how intelligent machines are reshaping every aspect of our lives in sometimes unexpected ways. From commerce to criminal justice, science to spirituality, welfare to warfare, we are truly living in AI world. When you think about intelligent robots, what examples spring to mind? Okay, now does that example present as either male or female? Chances are it does. Amazon's Alexa, Apple's Siri, and into the world of science fiction with HAL 9000, Terminators, Jarvis, and Wally or Eva. These are choices that human creators have consciously made, reflecting our own thinking on what makes these systems appear helpful, or frightening, or funny. But what happens when we're not aware of the biases that creep into our worldview? And what if the end result wasn't a sci-fi film, but the platform for the future of humanity? And what if the people involved in this enterprise are still disproportionately made up of white men? To explore this aspect of living in an AI world, I caught up with two people who are committed to changing the game for women in technology. So I'm here with Chelsea Slater, who's the co-founder of Liverpool Girl Geeks, which inspires and supports young women into careers in STEM subjects. And I'm also here with Tabitha Goldstorp, who's the co-founder of Cognition X, which supplies market intelligence on all things AI. Welcome to you both. Hi. So Tabitha, we'll just start with you to set the scene mm. a little bit. So previously you were involved in media and content marketing companies. How did you go from there and what you were doing there into the world of AI? So I tried very hard to bring the world of AI into what I was doing in media and content marketing. So at my last company, uh, which I co-founded back in 2008, we wanted to use artificial intelligence to get the right video to the right user at the right time with the right advert in order to get them to do something. Um, and I really struggled on what was quite a lonely journey really with trying to hire uh, the right data scientists, trying to find the right vendors, trying to pick the right use cases, and I personally didn't succeed. And so when I left that business, it was quite obvious that either um, I was alone and this was really very much, I was the only one who was bad at AI, or there was always, you know, there was a bigger struggle and a lot of people were, um, were facing the same task of having to deploy AI. AI without a guide. And um, yeah, so uh, Charlie Muirhead, um, who's the CEO of my co-founder of CognitionX, um, decided to pick up that mantle. So it's described a little bit as a kind of a community, and I think one of the lines I saw was around democratising mm. access. What is it that's made you decide to put your efforts into that kind of area? Yeah, I think for us it's very important. It's the information that we're trying to democratise access to, rather than sort of the AI, you know. Yeah. 
uh, we don't provide um, any AI services other than access to which services you might want or yeah. resources you might want. So the reason why it was it, it was quite clear it was so important is just the sheer volumes of people who were struggling like we were in the past, but also the fact that when you want to go and deploy artificial intelligence now, you have you know a handful of choices, but most of those choices you never feel confident that you're making the right choice with an AI startup a week being developed. So you're yeah. always like you know, whack-a-mole, you know, when am I ever going to stay abreast of this? It's just so such a massive volume. So I don't think AI can be put back in the box. 70% of companies are doing something with an artificial intelligence. Every company needs to do more than just something. And so we we believe that these companies need a guide in order to do that, but also they need to think about all these ethical issues as well. So we provide um, uh, this market intelligence service which is like a cool, you know, hot desk. You can call our research desk and find out um, information on um, companies we're current. So that's where you said the community. We make sure that it's constantly yeah. being updated. Um, we're comprehensive. So unlike um, some companies like Gartner, uh, who who don't look at all businesses, we we look at all at all companies, large and small. And then we're granular because we look down at the product level. So um, yeah, we we directed our efforts at this because I think. Um, it, there was a need for someone to bring um, all of the incredible energy that's out there into one easy place. And a huge opportunity, I guess. Yeah, yeah massive. <laughs> so that's, um, I suppose, about the intelligence gap mm. that's missing at the moment. But another gap that I know you're interested in addressing is the gender gap. Yeah. So when you think about um, the difference uh, and the, the disparity in the field of AI in, in gender, you know, what is it about that that gives you greatest concern? I feel like there is, um, and, and I'm excited to hear more about uh, the work Chelsea's doing, but I feel like there is clearly a gender gap um, across all industries, and there's definitely a pay gap um, across all industries. When it comes to artificial intelligence, the angle that I'm most concerned about is slightly different to just a balance. I am very concerned about not having a mix of uh, gender in both the creation of AI and in the training and in the deployment of AI. So it comes down to a sort of a life or death situation. If we don't have women, all different types of, um, of people at the forefront of what is about to be our next uh, technological revolution, we end up building machines that aren't going to be purpose fit for everybody. And we're going to in increase inequality. Um, and the, the risk is that we may codify existing biases and make our lives a hell of a lot worse. And I think that there's many ways that we can root out bias in artificial intelligence from, you know, checking, and we will talk about this later, I'm sure, but checking training data. Um, but I, I personally believe, as a feminist, that one of the ways to ensure that we're building ethical, uh, sound, non-biased machines is getting more women into this industry. If uh, notwithstanding the whole point that we're missing out on a massive load of innovation, and, and, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea, just um, turn to you for a minute then. So your work is primarily, I guess, around inspiring uh, mainly teenage girls to get involved in tech, coding. How did that come about? Yeah, so I started Liverpool Girl Geeks in 2013. My uh, kind of experience is quite broad before that, so I was a graphic designer, and then I went into marketing, and then I looked at digital marketing. But then I went to it for an app agency, and I was the only girl there. We were creating some really, really cool stuff. We were uh, pitching to amazing clients all around the UK, so I was working quite closely with the developers and designers. Soon realised, yeah, I was the only girl doing this, and there should be more of us. In Liverpool, it's got quite a close-knit digital and tech community so I looked there and again there was no women there 
um, which is really, really disappointing. So, And I knew a couple of women working in the industry, so I just started to interview them. And I created a Twitter account called Liverpool Girl Geeks, a really, really dodgy website at the time. <laughs> uh, started interviewing people and people kind of thought this was a good thing to keep doing so then asked the community what they wanted and they said that they wanted courses they wanted the skills they they wanted to learn how to code they wanted to know, know a little bit more about 3d printing so we put on them courses for them and that's when it became a business I left my job in 2015 to focus on it full-time because I thought you know someone needs to be really working on this and really effectively make a change so we did that I brought on another director there's two two of us full-time on it now and then we focus on teenage girls and we've created three um, programs for them and it's really amazing work that we're doing that's all awesome. to be humble how many girls have you have you helped this year we're touching around 200 awesome. uh, girls now so at the end it, at the end of the year I think three four hundred girls we would have worked with Shit. at a teenage that's level amazing. and then we've got adults as well that have gone on to do amazing stuff from our courses yeah, I mean, and these girls are amazing girls as well, and they're just so creative, innovative. They they want uh, the best futures. And it's just so nice to work with young girls that that are kind of feeling confident after coming out of one of our courses, feeling like they can be in this tech world where they didn't feel like like that before. So these girls are obviously the beginning of that journey. When I started in digital career, which is a long time ago, the kinds of tools that were available to me then were you know, very, very different tools. Yeah. How have you seen the change impacting on the, the opportunities that these girls have to, to, I suppose, play about with it, to understand what's possible? Yeah, it's very different, isn't it? Like uh, my background in graphic design, we were, we were just physically drawing things all the time. It was all about typography and not really using computers at all. And obviously these um, this software, these programs, this technology is there for them now. I don't think they're using enough of it in education. We only need to walk into like the Apple shop and see what kind of products that they're using. So they've got the Sphero and they've got uh, the robots that you can use and program um, to do like uh, various things, whether that's in arts or whether that's mapping around on the floor, and you and you can learn that stuff from from the age of like four or five. So do you do you think there's a, a shift that's happened in the mindset? So when uh, when people are considering careers, and especially I guess in this context, when when girls are considering careers in the future, do you think they're thinking about things in a, in a different way because of some of the devices that they're seeing out there? Because they're interacting with the series and so on of the world. Do you, do you think that's changing the mindset of people about what's possible? I think social media definitely is. I think um, obviously they're all on Instagram, they're all on Snapchat. I think there's a lot of negativities around that, but then there's also really positive things as well. I mean, they can get access to any role mod model that's out there. They can mm. talk to anybody that's on Twitter and say hello. One of our girls, Amelia, who um, is 14, wants to be an astrophysicist. And she's created a Twitter account. She's got a photography website. She's um, met Tim Peake because she's tweeted him That's and awesome. got to meet him. She interviews people that she meets on Twitter. And she's 14. I mean, I mean that, I think, the power of social media is changing their lives. But yeah. you need to kind of be that uh, stepping stone for them and make sure that they are kind of using it in that way because mm. Instagram's making people think that lives uh, ha having to be absolutely perfect. <laughs> so there's the negative side of it, but the, the, the access that is there for them, they can speak yeah. to whoever they want, and I think that's a great thing for them at it's that age. It's just opening up their, their, their view on what's possible. And their networks, yeah. So I suppose let's, let's talk a little bit more broadly then. When we think about what it means to live in an AI world, the changes and the opportunities that brings, 
you know, we're all starting to bump up against these little experiences with AI where we're finding that it just works brilliantly and loads of where it doesn't, we'll come on to that, I'm sure. But you know, what's been for you at the moment where you felt, oh, it's like this machine actually understands me. Something's going mm. on here which is making a connection. Mm. I, I almost can't remember the first few moments and your question got me thinking a lot about like what was the first moment. And I think the reason I failed to find the first moment is actually the bit that I, I have found so fascinating is where I've conceded complete control without realizing it. And yeah. I didn't get an aha moment. It's <laughs> like the aha is when, I mean, I, I can't navigate myself across London I lit, or, or to Liverpool. I have no concept of how I would do that without the AI that drives our Google Maps. Um, my Alexa could tell me absolutely anything what's new Alexa and the news comes out and you hope that she's gone and picked that up from the Guardian but like it's it's the conceding control that has been the most shocking thing for me and I'm, I'm a control freak I mean um, I don't know about you but like most of us don't um, you know, especially entrepreneurial people are like no I can do this I can do this and I now have you know an Amy that will help me with some of my diary management um, not all of it yeah I think that that for me has been the really fascinating thing like I, I don't know if you've noticed but I've not saved a telephone number for, for over a year because the AI will just suggest that it's you calling. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, that's great. Don't even think about it. And that, for me, is the, the real power. And I think that's also the real risk because if we start you know, to concede control without us realising, we're in quite a tricky situation. Absolutely. So not an aha moment, more of an ooh, that's yeah. a strange moment. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the interesting one with um, with the sort of Alexa, I suppose, mm. is the whole idea of the example you gave. You're saying, well, what's what's new? What's the news? Mm. You are then relying on Amazon's interpretation of what it either yeah. thinks you should know or yeah. was promoted mm. and sponsored right. in order to tell you, yeah. which is, yeah, fascinating. How about mm. you, Chelsea? Yeah, I, I don't really use like the Alexa, I don't mm. really use Siri on my phone, I just, I don't really feel like I need to use it, but I think the thing similar to you, it's like, ooh, not aha, <laughs> but it's just the adverts that I'm seeing all mm. the time on, on my Facebook page because of what I've looked at on ASOS, or looked at on, on Amazon, um, and for me, I enjoy it cause, because I don't feel like they're adverts in a way, because they're just things that I like to see, and yeah, I do want to go and buy that Adidas top and yeah I might go and buy them other three that you're, you're choosing <laughs> yeah. for me but it, but it's different for everyone I mean me and my boyfriend have discussions about this and he just thinks it's so intrusive mm. and he hates that it's doing that he thinks that we'll talk about something in the kitchen and then and then Facebook will know because it's like that powerful now because I, I think it is actually reading yeah. your texts and your whatsapps and stuff now isn't it but I mean for me I wouldn't like it if um, that Puma t-shirt was being advertised to me because I don't like that brand. Whereas I think the, the things I'm seeing, I feel like it knows me, it's not wasting my time. And uh, that's the kind of thing that I like. The, the aha thing I've been looking at in the last couple of weeks is the Telsa car. Mm, Tesla. Tesla car, yeah. Mm. It's amazing. Like that for me, I think when I see one of them in real life or on the street, that's going to be mind-blowing and I can't believe that someone has actually created this uh, in the world. Yeah. I just think that's going to be an aha moment when I actually physically see yeah. one. I think that's what I, 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 I couldn't agree more. It's when I realised not it wasn't just me who couldn't drive but 
you know, 97% or 93% of crashes are all human. Yeah. Uh, all because of the fault of humans. And you're like, really? How has it taken us this long to get to some level of autonomous driving? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I the, agree. Sat, it's a good the one. sat nav, when that right. first came out, that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. And I still think about that sometimes. I just think, how is it how <laughs> well, that those happened? days, you could decide for it to be Stephen Fry. Yeah. Like, oh, they were the good days. So. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, with the, with the Tesla, I think I've seen uh, seen an instance where yeah, the guy got out of the car and then he just parked himself, and that that's yeah. a beautiful thing to see. If only. Yeah. And, uh, I know I'm I'm not sure if I would feel safe within one, but oh, I, I definitely would. Would you? But then from the data that, and from the research that they've done, it's obvious that it, it is a really really good thing. Yeah. I think our kids will laugh at us. I know they really will. So I've got a, a teenage daughter and a teenage son, and I think. Probably they will learn to drive, but they'll probably be the last yeah. generation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, we talked about AI potentially sometimes being seen as a bit intrusive or a bit scary, and uh, I just you know thought about the area of cybersecurity. Mm. Um, um, AI, like cybersecurity, sort of tends to somehow get this press that can be quite uh, negative, focus on the sort of doomsday scenario. Mm. And um, that seems to almost give it a bit of a macho kind of air to it, uh, this sort of threatening presence. Do you think that has that kind of narrative that drives some of that imbalance that we're seeing in terms of the gender? Yeah, I think the word security in itself, people just associate that with being a male thing from uh, stereotypes. So you see policemen, mm. you see uh, like bouncers on your pubs and restaurant doors, and they all seem to be male. So I think just having that word security in cybersecurity job roles has created this um, almost, you know, women can't do this. And it, and it is proven in the research because I think there's only 11% of women in roles in cybersecurity, whereas there's about 16 or 17% in the tech uh, industry as a whole. So I think that is a massive um, thing to play on it. And it's just something so subtle, uh, but the stereotypes do do yeah. filter down from the words yeah that's really it's really interesting to hear you say that I actually um I think my optimism doesn't want to doesn't want to believe it but you're so right and um there's an ethicist or a, a computer scientist um called Joanna Bryson who talked about word embedding and exactly yeah. as you say like you hear the word cyber you hear the word security and the word security has so much with it um and that is exactly one of the risks we have when it comes to then building an AI that takes that word embedding and bias with it on like how do we make sure that doesn't happen mm-hmm. i think one of the things we need to stop doing when we look at this sort of utopian versus the dystopian macho mm-hmm. cyber crime is um we need to we need to rid um the the world of these male uh sci-fi techno what are they called transformers yeah. looking images every time a um a journalist talks about this yeah. it's actually the one of i think it's one of the most pernicious things because you you think of security and you think of men you think of robots and you think of killer robots yeah. and and if i see I mean, every time and, and um uh, there's a there's an incredible uh, ai uh, expert at pwc called um rob McCowgown. he openly sort of outs um or doesn't out because they're already outed they already put it in the newspaper <laughs> but openly um shames uh, journalists and papers for using this imagery yeah. um, and it's really important that we need you know we stop we stop using that imagery um, and, and make it feel macho on a lighter note we had at our conference 
last a few a month ago, COGX um, in London, we did a panel on cybersecurity, and it wasn't tough for me to make sure that was balanced. But it was, you know, I was able to, and I think it's really, really, really vital to get um, interesting men and and fascinating uh, women as well. So we yeah. had Lorraine Dryland from um, Vodafone, who was leading all their tech security, and Marina Perina. Marina Piriena from Dark Trace and obviously Dark Trace CEO yeah. um, in the US as a woman. And then there was Ben Laurie from DeepMind as well as um, John Crocroft from Cambridge. So you had like a really rich debate. And I think it benefited from having male and female voices. Yeah, in that see, that is so important. It's so good that you're yeah. kind of doing that. The more people just need to do that. It's about representation, isn't it? Exactly. And uh, these young girls, especially from my, my, where I'm coming from, is it is so important for them to see that women are doing this stuff. Exactly, and and and, that, and I get that's what's so lovely about what you do is you're all able to lift up women that you think are um, a good a good role models. And yeah. I was just looking at your site. The role models you've chosen are definitely people I. <laughs> you could be on that. Oh <laughs> not not on that level, but yeah, I'd love to help. Let's, let's move on a little bit. So in terms of, of AI and sort of understanding how it's operating, one of the, one of the reasons that we have a, uh, I suppose a challenge in the space is because part of the, the beauty of, of AI systems are they're, they're based on neural networks. Uh, a lot of the time they're, they're using deep learning in order to, to develop themselves. And therefore we're, we become increasingly detached as humans from how they're actually arriving at the answers they're arriving at. They're more and more of a black box in terms of of what they're coming up with. Does that create an issue for us? Does that, um, you know, how much of a problem is that for us, especially as we're looking at areas like gender bias, when we can't actually tell why mm. decisions are being made? Yeah, it's, 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 a real, it's a real challenge because we have a tension between more and more innovation, which often in the case of deep learning leads to less and less transparency. And we want that, in, you know, Let's, let's presume for this conversation that we want that innovation and, and you know in many cases we do we have to then work out how we're going to understand how a decision was made and you've got what the government are doing in terms of regulation and you've got GDPR and and that's the um, the right to an explanation um, on one hand and I think that there you know there's good there's good work being done there by um, by people like Dr. Sandra Watcher, who you can read, uh, you know, uh, listen to her her videos, which sort of talk about what the challenges are that are, that are faced with GDPR and what the benefits are. I'm of the I'm of the school of thought that we need to, and until we've resolved this, we need to always have a human in the loop. So you have a sort of a man, woman, and machine model, whereby um, yes, we're, we're, we've got artificial intelligence, but we need to think of it a little bit more as augmented intelligence, whereby an AI is taking um, a lot of the, um, the the work and handing maybe a recommendation to a human who might be making a decision, or at least a human who can come in and question a decision, um, and. That then allows us to keep um, the companies who are doing awesome work in deep neural nets. You know, they can protect their secret source, they can keep innovating, um, but they're going to need to set aside additional um, uh, piece of technology or, 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 um, or humans to ensure that we're not being biased rather than let's blow open the black box because I just don't think that that's possible. I think it will hinder development. And I suppose exposing uh, what is happening because although you're right that companies won't want to open up and let mm. people be aware of exactly the training that has gone and how they're, um, mm. they're utilising those systems to get an outcome. Uh, it's becoming so critical, especially as we start to think of 
it being used in the area of criminal justice, mm. you know, in education, there's a whole bunch of areas yeah. where we know that AI has a massive role to play in the future. And unless, as you say, we have a human in loop system, we've got a very bleak uh, potential ahead of us. So uh, in terms of gender balances, but mm. when we talk about AI before, we know that there's a, we've got a long way to go. Uh, but I suppose one area where we've we've all been aware of that, that things maybe ha- have taken a different tack have been in the area of personal assistance. Yeah, well, you only have to look at Alexa and Siri, and the, their default is female voice. You know? mm. I suppose my uh, my question in this is, you know, is is that a good thing or is it just reinforcing the classic kind of stereotype of you know woman as secretary slash PA to support you in what you're doing? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about this one. I feel like. My, well, my series a man. Good. Anyway, <laughs> I think. So you can change it, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think and there are I, some, but the default, yeah. I suppose, yeah. in all these systems is... I, yeah, I don't think I've, I've seen that enough, but I mean, if it, if it is the case that there is more women, I think, yeah, it might play on the, you know, PA or secretary thing. But, um, and it's all about representation again, isn't it? We need diverse voices, we need diverse faces on our screens, we need, you know, uh, diverse people creating our solutions and our innovations. Um, so it, it does just play down to that and the fairness of it. Uh, everything that we create is for the people who, and we are all very diverse, so we need diverse people uh, being represented in every single sense, so whether that is voice recognition or on our panels or, mm. or in our uh, CEO positions. So I think you're, you're completely right. I think um, when it comes to um, machines, I think they should be completely ungendered and to be fair, completely unhumanized. Like they need to be as uh, far away from humans as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, there's uh, Professor Alan Winfield who sort of championed this non-gendered, non-human-esque machine. And I'm all about that. Like the uh, the mic that we have in front of us does not look like a man or a woman. And if it spoke to us, I hope it would not also sound like a man or a woman. And I think that's really, really the important thing. I'm totally over these female yeah. voices on everything. When you think about things transitioning between being very, very non-human-like and being very, very human-like, it's sort of fine when it's a microphone like this and it's obviously mm. not a human. As it starts to get more and more close to being like a human, it creates that uncanny valley aspect. People get really weirded out by it. But there will probably come a point where it goes back out the other side and we're in a situation where you genuinely can't tell. Right. Um, and you know, we know now, in, even in chatbots and things like that, people, companies are portraying this as a mm. as a human when it's actually a bot, I think that's a big mistake. You know? Terrifying. It's just, yeah. Because it's never going to live up to the expectation. Yeah. You know, as, as we head towards that, yeah. I think we could be in a situation where yeah. it's, it's creating some weird dynamics. It is. I, there's a book, uh, sorry, there's, yeah, the book that your um, your listeners might be interested in called um, Echo Boy. And it's about, by Matt Haig, who's a brilliant writer, not traditionally a sci-fi writer. And he's written what happens when the, you know, when the very human looking like bots, they're called Echo Bots, um, uh, take over and my god I, I, I've been reading it for about a week now and the people keep asking me questions and I have to check whether I'm answering reality or the, what's happened in the book <laughs> it's like Westworld have you watched right. Westworld yeah. that's like, oh, scary that isn't it yeah Yeah. every time I, I uh, read the news in the morning I'm thinking is, is this to do with Trump or is this Handmaid's Tale <laughs> yeah <laughs> just confused again um, Chelsea, when you you obviously go into lots of companies as part of what you you do, and, um, yeah. and you're, you're promoting the activities you go and trying to get partnerships and all that sort of stuff, are you generally encouraged or disappointed at the sort of diversity that you see in those companies? 
generally encouraged in Liverpool. We've got some amazing partners and we don't partner with people that truly don't care about diversity. We, we get approached by a lot of people that say that they are and then we go into the company and the culture and it's just not right. Mm. But I think generally in Liverpool, some of the partners, well, all of the partners that we have are brilliant. Um, they truly care about diversity and they, and they might not have a 50-50 split, um, but they're really trying to work with us um, to get that. Mm. So, but then there is some really bad examples like Uber, uh, mm. for example, who are doing some uh, awful mm. stuff at the minute. Uh, and But yeah, I think in Liverpool, definitely. I'm not sure yeah. about you. Can you give me an example of one of the companies who pretend that they're interested and they're not? Don't say the name, obviously, but, but <laughs> what, what? how do you know? Like, what's the like, oh, what's the moment when you're like, yeah, this isn't a company I want to work with? Mainly due to the culture within the company. Mm. So you'll see um, maybe like five ping pong tables and loads of beers and I mean I'm not saying women don't like that because some of us do but you don't see many women in the Mm. room you see um all male boards at the top um and I think that's generally what what Mm. we kind of see Mm. but then someone from the team maybe in HR or marketing saying that 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 we need to come in there but then the CEO or the the actual boss like doesn't really you can tell doesn't get it um which is normally a a male but yeah, we've got really nice partners. So we're lucky. <laughs> well done. And we want more. <laughs> You're not lucky. I think you've done an incredible job of actually yeah. being a place where people can self-select to be in the environment that you help create. Yeah, I wouldn't call it luck at all. I think you've done a really good job of that. Thank you. And so obviously, um, Tabitha, yeah. you get involved. Uh, well, get involved. You, you organise the COGEX conference yeah. um, and you can obviously self-select in that scenario mm. who you're bringing in. Are you encouraged by the the growth in the number of women yeah. involved in those in those deep specialisms, but also in the broader kind of business context and startups? I think there's three things. One, I'm I'm in a, my own filter bubble, so I get so you know so overexcited. I talk to you. I you know I have got so many friends who are champions for this, and then I'm I'm incredibly optimistic. Then I step out of my own filter bubble and my own like Twitter stream, and I'm like, Jesus, oh, you know, this is not this is not okay. And and you know I'm, I can get very pessimistic but overall I'm incredibly optimistic more from a a, a maybe um more from a psychology perspective and like a greater movement which is that I've I've seen a shift in in the skills demanded today women were historically and and today have been kind of encouraged to display very different traits to men so men were being told to display these kind of decisive bold warlike um security uh, traits and women were kind of always told you know you need to listen and communicate and care yeah. and and uh, and they've kind of been ingrained these these um traits and and in the 90s and that that those traits didn't get you very far However, this is uh, uh, this is about to change. I really think that these skills aren't just useful in the home anymore. They're vital in the boardroom. They're vital in the tech scene, and they they are undoubtedly the only thing that will get us to having a good AI revolution is those skills so I'm all like great I don't mind you being a little bit negative today because I can see a whole new wave of where women's skills that they so it's not even women's skills it's skills that women have been told were you know what they should um, exhibit are now the skills that are the most needed yeah. um, and, and you know men men will develop those skills uh, it's not you know solely for, for men or women to have them but it's a cool it's a cool time to be alive I think so one of the things that uh, you mentioned just then actually was around uh, you know, being in your own filter bubble. Mm. One of the things that interests me, in, I suppose, in this and, and about making change of any type is 
is that we are all caught in those filter bubbles in our own way. I mean, there was a you know, massive role, you, you only have to look at the, the last presidential election in the US or the, um, the recent elections we've had here to realize that you tend to get a, a very, very uh, echo chamber-like effect yeah. in what you're experiencing. Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating and wonderful time to be alive, but it also can be quite a, a demoralizing if you, yes. if you have a certain view mm. and you're wanting to drive some change through and then you feel like, actually, I'm, I'm butting up against this all the time. Mm, have, you, yeah. have you had experiences of that kind of thing happening? Uh, our work grew on Twitter because of the belief that we had for diversity mm. and we had some really good support and obviously we've had some people say that we're making the problem worse and uh, we're not doing good things but you just need to believe in yourself and keep that positive message mm. but yeah i think it's scary with the with the elections because i mean so much money gets pumped into facebook and things right now from yeah. the elections that you don't believe mm. you kind of it's hard to believe in the people that are behind them. Or, or bots that are yeah. behind them in right. many cases. It, yeah. it's, re it's really hard actually to mm. kind of believe what, what someone says at, the, at a powerful level. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think um, we, all find, we all find it difficult. And one of the things that maybe you want, you'd want to do at, um, at Girl Geeks is some training, especially for 14-year-olds, my goodness, but what a good source looks like yeah. and how to know where something is accurate and is verified. I remember, and I'm, you know, I'm 30, but I remember uh, my most of my history lessons were about you know, deciding whether the wigs or the, you know, the, the different um, sources were, were reputable. Yeah. And I asked some young women recently and they're like, we don't learn that at school. I was like, really? That's interesting. And it slightly worried me considering it is the, probably the biggest, most factor, at least the press are saying, defining um, the youth today is that they will, you know, they're being fed media and, and not questioning it. So it might be an interesting project to do. Yeah, um, I've been thinking about how we could do something similar where we're explaining, you know, this is, um, uh, this is how, yeah, to check for the fake news. Mm. Um, and as you said earlier, uh, like a lot of it's not fake news, but you just, Hope it hope it is, or you just can't quite yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah. So just just moving on to I suppose that broader point around uh, you know how, how roles are changing, how uh, how we're shifting in the in the roles mm. that we do in the jobs. You know, you can imagine even what you were just talking about then, having the ability to detect and critically assess information for you know, credibility could be something which becomes almost like a role in itself, because that's becoming more and more mm. of a, a thing that we don't want to necessarily rely on. Uh, AI is doing in isolation. Mm. So the human in the loop becomes almost the career path. You know? mm. there's, there's fascinating opportunities there. But on a broader sense, we know that there's, there's also threats to, um, through automation, making some of the knowledge work that we currently do and some of the physical work that we do currently a bit, bit redundant. Um, how do you see that impacting? I mean, you're obviously an optimistic person, Tabitha. I can see that. <laughs> um, so I can imagine that your your take on this is is that this is a this is a good thing, and we'll get redistribution. But you know, do do you think that redistribution will happen equally? Will it happen in, in an evenly distributed way, or do you think it's going to cause a whole load of unintended consequences? I definitely don't want to sound naive because obviously history has shown us that new ways of technology generally increase inequality uh, from from uh, from some reports other reports you know are showing how you know the, the, there's the school of thought of the abundant school of thought and actually things are getting are getting better i think on the ground in london things are definitely getting worse <laughs> um but in 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 the wider scale of uh, of 
the way that some economists look at this, we could be seeing this as, you know, we are getting much better. People are not dying, you know, uh, so young. Um, infant mortality rates are increasing. Decreasing. Decreasing. <laughs> that would not yeah. be good. Um, and, uh, and I think that my general level of optimism can take me all the way through from if we get this right mm. and we educate people, this will be about redeployment. There are so many more jobs and so much productivity that can be unlocked from AI that we should be providing, well, sorry, there will be new jobs. And what we've now got to do is educate people to be able to take those new jobs. And I have this this, this sort of, uh, yeah, overarching optimism that what we've seen in kind of millennials now caring much more around the environment, uh, ethical issues, how they're treated inequality itself um i kind of have faith in the human the humanity of those types of people and how it's yeah. a shift this generation that we're seeing grow up even though the even so the my generation grow up i'm like maybe there's a chance um you know there's a report today um uh, it, it, you know another inequality study there was one yesterday there was one you know, we are looking at this i think in a way that we weren't before so there yeah there's hope <laughs> yeah you've said everything that i want oh, to say i mean I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited by it because i think that these um, bots, these robots, mm. they can do things that we don't need to do and yes. that we're, we don't want to do. So we mm. can be a lot more creative. We can look at the arts and technology. We can we can do uh, a lot more and be mm. a lot more productive because of these. So I'm, I mean, I think the, the skills landscape is going to totally change. But again, we need to be making sure that that runs smoothly Ooh. I don't I, and I, I like I'm not optimistic about that because I, I have massive um debates on myself every single day about the current education the curriculum that's that's there now and, and it really does need to change but I mean I guess through the programs that we're doing we are telling girls that they can do what they want to do they can follow their passions they can be creative and there are going to be there is going to be help for the more mundane things that that we might not have to do soon. Fantastic. Yeah. And so I suppose yeah, within the within the education world, you know, you were obviously putting input in there and trying to see what could be, what could be done to push that. But I suppose within the business community, how can we prepare um, for this, you know, impending mm. AI wave as it were? How can we make yeah. sure that we're ready for that? Um I think it is run head first into deploying AI within your business. Um so you're ready to benefit from the productivity gains. And believe that that's going to then be able to ensure that you can spend money on educating a workforce. You can do the you know the HR role of finding the right talent and placing them in the right in the right roles. And so it's actually something that we we do at Cognition X. Um, are I guess part of our mission is to make sure that these businesses are ready for uh, and are at the forefront of um, the AI um, revolution. And I think what they're asking today are questions like, how will it, you know, how's this affecting my industry? What are the companies doing? Should this affect my business strategy? And then tomorrow they're starting to ask, what vendors should I work with? What what, what projects should I be focused on? Um, what order? How, how much should I update things? And, and, and I think what we'll start to see is that those questions get more and more sophisticated as this, um, as this develops. Uh, as they mature in their thinking about AI. Right. I think also it's great because at the minute, obviously there's a massive digital skills gap and AI kind of fills that. Imagine if we didn't have these AI mm-hmm. in, uh, machines in place, we would be facing an even bigger digital skills gap. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, so it's only, it's, it's especially in, in like cybersecurity and things like that, I think it's it's massively helping us at the minute. Um, but obviously we need humans and we need to educate them. 
So both of you are heavily invested in, and into the idea of informing, educating, influencing that sort of next generation. Um, how do you think though that the AI is going to impact that whole area? I mean, from education, mentoring, informed learning. Mm. How how is AI going to change that? World? Yeah. So I think from a from an education standpoint, it's it could be the panacea that fixes a lot of the issues within education because we can have personalized learning. So instead of this like one to many, we can be deciding what our, is a human going to learn based on how it did on the last uh, on the last module, which then also takes out things like the big stress testing, which I think is is creating, you know, causing havoc in, in young people every time they get the big exam, whereas AI can be, you know, uh, testing people all the way through their, their, their uh, school. I also think that it will allow um, for teachers to be freed up, as you, you were talking earlier, to do more of the, of the teaching, um, less of the sort of imparting the knowledge, but more of the caring, um, more of the uh, pastoral, I think the word is, <laughs> more of the pastoral care and actually um, uh, spending some time getting students ready for the real world. Um, and when you ask about mentoring, I think I, I kind of hope that that remains outside of the, 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 the AI kind of space because it's, it's about a relationship and a, and a one to, uh, one-to-one already. Um, but Chaz, I'd love to uh, tell what you think about the mentoring. Yeah, well. so I think, well, at the moment, the education system isn't doing enough, like we said before. And I think uh, the curriculum needs to move, isn't moving fast enough. Um, and AI is mm. going to help that, but I am yeah all about real life experiences and mentoring being one of them. I think uh, through our program, so our plan is to put our programs in every single school in the UK, focusing on the deprived schools first. But our learning is all about real physical experiences, taking them into industry. Uh, we want to um, teach the teachers to look at this as a big opportunity and for them to kind of teach their other kids how wonderful it is. And yeah, I really hope that AI kind of helps the teachers more than anything. They're kind of showing them what opportunities are out there. Fantastic. So one of the one of the promises that AI has sort of always made is that it's going to be here to you know remove that drudgery of everyday mm. life. It's going to free us up, like you say, free up the teachers, free up the individuals, free us all up to be able to live this sort of utopian life. Um, we're obviously a long, long way away from that, but. We're all in our own way using AI tools. We're all, we are, whether it's a Siri or an Alexa, or whether, as you say, it's you know just being supported in the right adverts being put to you within a, within a Facebook context. What kind of tools do you tend to use most at the moment that, that actually support you? I think when we were talking earlier, you were mentioning about you know that sort of support for organising meetings on your behalf and the mm. digital assistant. How how do they work out for you in practice? I think you have to put in a lot of time and energy to make them work for you. You're training them. Um, you're training them. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, you know, I've often said it's like you're training them like a you know like a child or you know just something. And I I feel bad about saying that because I'm purporting that we don't liken them to to humans. But you, I think it does get quite frustrating. You've got to stick with it. Um, when it comes to drudgery and tasks, I think that I kind of have a a, a bit of a vision that not efficient, it sounds well, way grander than it is. I have a, um, an idea that what we'll start to see is that every role will get paired with an AI that will take the drudgery-esque role, you know, tasks, you know, the admin, the, mm. the, the cleaning, the, 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 the conch, you know, consummate trying to book di- you know, diary meetings in, and, and hopefully every role will, will have um, the humans becoming more human and the machines becoming more machine-like. I, I, my, my favourite at the moment is 
I'm very good at um, self-diagnosing myself on the internet when I feel <laughs> sick. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, panic. Um, I'm really looking forward to when, uh, you know, and I do use Battle on Health. I actually use three health apps just because I want to train them all and see how yes. it's going. But I really, I cannot wait for the day when it turns around and says you're not sick and I actually believe it. Yeah, um, I think yeah. the healthcare world, I think it's going to benefit from this the most. Mm. And I'm really, really excited by that. I mean, I use like virtual assistants, I use scheduling tools for my marketing um, and things like that. But I I don't uh, see myself using this um, as much as I probably should do. Mm. Um, But I would love to see things that actually really work for me and not just like the maps and the the scheduling tools that I'm using at the minute. But I think the healthcare industry is going to totally change the whole landscape of I'm so excited by that. What I find interesting in this whole area is that at the moment we're still seeing AI as something sort of special and new because it's evolving and because Mm. it's emerging. It is going to get to the stage fairly soon where it becomes just so baked in and so normal that we just don't think about it. As you say, it just becomes paired Mm. with whatever it is. There's an AI Mm. component to it. Um, you know, the moment we'll we'll see a rise in directors of AI and whatever within businesses, and it'll become as ridiculous as having a director of electricity or something in the future. Right. it's an interesting times we live in. Well, listen, mm. thank you, uh, Tabitha and Chelsea. It's been superb to talk that through with you. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. You've been listening to the Living in AI World podcast. Please subscribe and rate us. You can also find us on Twitter. Just search for at Living AI World. The music for this podcast series is created by Machine Learning Algorithms. You can create your own at jukedeck.com. Join me next time when I'm exploring the intersection between computing and creativity, AI and art. Is this simply an evolution of the tools we already use to express ourselves, or could machines become truly creative in their own right? Thanks for listening.